Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. The story continued by Eliza Michelson, housekeeper at Blackwater Park. Part 1 I am asked to state plainly what I know of the progress of Miss Halcombe's illness and of the circumstances under which Lady Glyde left Blackwater Park for London. The reason given for making this demand on me is that my testimony is wanted in the interests of truth, as the widow of a clergyman of the Church of England, reduced by misfortune to the necessity of accepting a situation, I have been taught to place the claims of truth above all other considerations. I therefore comply with a request which I might otherwise, through reluctance to connect myself with distressing family affairs, have hesitated to grant. I made no memorandum at the time, and I cannot, therefore, be sure to a day of the date but I believe I am correct in stating that Miss Halcombe's serious illness began during the last fortnight or ten days in June. The breakfast hour was late at Blackwater Park, sometimes as late as ten, never earlier than half-past nine. On the morning to which I am now referring, Miss Halcombe, who was usually the first to come down, did not make her appearance at the table. After the family had waited a quarter of an hour, The upper housemaid was sent to see after her and came running out of the room dreadfully frightened. I met the servant on the stairs and went at once to Miss Halcombe to see what was the matter. The poor lady was incapable of telling me. She was walking about her room with a pen in her hand, quite light-headed, in a state of burning fever. Lady Glyde, being no longer in Sir Percival's service, I may, without impropriety, mention my former mistress by her name, instead of calling her my lady, was the first to come in from her own bedroom. She was so dreadfully alarmed and distressed that she was quite useless. The Count Fosco and his lady, who came upstairs immediately afterwards, were both most serviceable and kind. Her ladyship assisted me to get Miss Halcombe to her bed, his lordship, the Count, remained in the sitting-room, and having sent for my medicine-chest, made a mixture for Miss Halcombe and a cooling lotion to be applied to her head, so as to lose no time before the doctor came. We applied the lotion, but we could not get her to take the mixture. Sir Percival undertook to send for the doctor. He dispatched a groom on horseback for the nearest medical man, Mr. Dawson of Oak Lodge. Mr. Dawson arrived in less than an hour's time. He was a respectable elderly man, well known all around the country, and we were much alarmed when we found that he considered the case to be a very serious one. His lordship, the Count, affably entered into conversation with Mr. Dawson and gave his opinions with a judicious freedom. 
Mr. Dawson, not over-courteously, inquired if his lordship's advice was the advice of a doctor, and being informed that it was the advice of one who had studied medicine, unprofessionally, replied that he was not accustomed to consult with amateur physicians. The Count, with truly Christian meekness of temper, smiled and left the room. Before he went out, he told me that he might be found, in case he was wanted in the course of the day, at the boathouse on the banks of the lake. Why he should have gone there, I cannot say. But he did go, remaining away the whole day till seven o'clock, which was dinner time. Perhaps he wished to set the example of keeping the house as quiet as possible. It was entirely in his character to do so. He was a most considerate nobleman. Miss Halcombe passed a very bad night, the fever coming and going, and getting worse towards the morning instead of better. No nurse fit to wait on her being at hand in the neighborhood. Her ladyship, the countess, and myself undertook the duty, relieving each other. Lady Glyde, most unwisely, insisted on sitting up with us. She was much too nervous and too delicate in health to bear the anxiety of Miss Halcombe's illness calmly, she only did herself harm, without being of the least real assistance. A more gentle and affectionate lady never lived, but she cried and she was frightened, two weaknesses which made her entirely unfit to be present in a sick room. Sir Percival and the Count came in the morning to make their inquiries. Sir Percival, from distress, I presume, at his lady's affliction and at Miss Halcombe's illness, "'appeared much confused and unsettled in his mind. "'His lordship testified, on the contrary, "'a becoming composure and interest. "'He had his straw hat in one hand and his book in the other, "'and he mentioned to Sir Percival in my hearing "'that he would go out again and study at the lake. "'Let us keep the house quiet,' he said. "'Let us not smoke indoors, my friend. "'Now Miss Halcombe is ill. "'You go your way, and I will go mine.' "'When I study, I like to be alone. "'Good morning, Mrs. Michelson.' "'Sir Percival was not civil enough, "'perhaps I ought in justice to say not composed enough, "'to take leave of me with the same polite attention. "'The only person in the house, indeed, "'who treated me at that time or at any other "'on the footing of a lady in distressed circumstances "'was the Count. "'He had the manners of a true nobleman. "'He was considerate towards everyone. "'Even the young person,' Fanny, by name, who attended on Lady Glyde, was not beneath his notice. When she was sent away by Sir Percival, his lordship, showing me his sweet little birds at the time, was most kindly anxious to know what had become of her, where she was to go the day she left Blackwater Park, and so on. It is in such little delicate attentions that the advantages of aristocratic birth always show themselves. I make no apology for introducing these particulars, they are brought forward in justice to his lordship, whose character, I have reason to know, is viewed rather harshly in certain quarters. A nobleman who can respect a lady in distressed circumstances and can take a fatherly interest in the fortunes of a humble servant girl shows principles and feelings of too high an order to be lightly called in question. I advance no opinions. I offer facts only. My endeavor through life is to judge, not that I be not judged. One of my beloved husband's finest sermons was on that text. I read it constantly, 
In my own copy of the edition printed by subscription, in the first days of my widowhood, and at every fresh perusal, I derive an increase of spiritual benefit and edification. There was no improvement in Miss Halcombe, and the second night was even worse than the first. Mr. Dawson was constant in his attendance. The practical duties of nursing were still divided between the Countess and myself, Lady Glyde persisting in sitting up with us, though we both entreated her to take some rest. My place is by Marianne's bedside, was her only answer. Whether I am ill or well, nothing will induce me to lose sight of her. Towards midday, I went downstairs to attend to some of my regular duties. An hour afterwards, on my way back to the sick room, I saw the Count, who had gone out again early for the third time, entering the hall, to all appearance, in the highest good spirits. Sir Percival, at the same moment, put his head out of the library door and addressed his noble friend with extreme eagerness in these words. "'Have you found her?' His lordship's large face became dimpled all over with placid smiles, but he made no reply in words. At the same time, Sir Percival turned his head, observed that I was approaching the stairs, and looked at me in the most rudely angry manner possible. "'Come in here and tell me about it,' he said to the Count. "'Whenever there are women in a house, they're always sure to be going up or down stairs.' "'My dear Percival,' observed his lordship kindly, Mrs. Michelson has duties. Pray, recognize her admirable performance of them as sincerely as I do. How is the sufferer, Mrs. Michelson? No better, my lord, I regret to say. Sad, most sad, remarked the Count. You look fatigued, Mrs. Michelson. It is certainly time you and my wife had some help in nursing. I think I may be the means of offering you that help. "'Circumstances have happened which will oblige Madame Fosco "'to travel to London, either tomorrow or the day after. "'She will go away in the morning and return at night, "'and she will bring back with her to relieve you, "'a nurse of excellent conduct and capacity, "'who is now disengaged. "'The woman is known to my wife as a person to be trusted. "'Before she comes here, say nothing about her, "'if you please, to the doctor.' "'because he will look with an evil eye "'on any nurse of my providing. "'When she appears in this house, "'she will speak for herself, "'and Mr. Dawson will be obliged to acknowledge "'that there is no excuse for not employing her. "'Lady Glyde will say the same. "'Pray present my best respects and sympathies to Lady Glyde.' "'I express my grateful acknowledgments "'for his lordship's kind consideration. "'Sir Percival cut them short by calling to his noble friend.' "'using, I regret to say, a profane expression, "'to come into the library "'and not to keep him waiting there any longer. "'I proceeded upstairs. "'We are poor, erring creatures, "'and however well-established a woman's principles may be, "'she cannot always keep on her guard "'against the temptation to exercise an idle curiosity. "'I am ashamed to say that an idle curiosity "'on this occasion got the better of my principles.' and made me unduly inquisitive about the question which Sir Percival had addressed to his noble friend at the library door. Who was the Count expected to find in the course of his studious morning rambles at Blackwater Park? A woman, it was to be presumed, from the terms of Sir Percival's inquiry. 
I did not suspect the Count of any impropriety. I knew his moral character too well. The only question I asked myself was, had he found her? To resume, the night passed as usual without producing any change for the better in Miss Halcombe. The next day, she seemed to improve a little. The day after that, her ladyship, the Countess, without mentioning the object of her journey to anyone in my hearing, proceeded by the morning train to London, her noble husband, with his customary attention, accompanying her to the station. I was now left in sole charge of Miss Halcombe, with every apparent chance, in consequence of her sister's resolution not to leave the bedside, of having Lady Glyde herself to nurse next. The only circumstance of any importance that happened in the course of the day was the occurrence of another unpleasant meeting between the doctor and the Count. His lordship, on returning from the station, stepped up into Miss Halcombe's sitting-room to make his inquiries. I went out from the bedroom to speak to him, Mr. Dawson and Lady Glyde being both with the patient at the time. The Count asked me many questions about the treatment and the symptoms. I informed him that the treatment was of the kind described as saline, and that the symptoms between the attacks of fever were certainly those of increasing weakness and exhaustion. Just as I was mentioning these last particulars, Mr. Dawson came out from the bedroom. "'Good morning, sir,' said his lordship, stepping forward in the most urbane manner, and stopping the doctor, with a high-bred resolution impossible to resist. "'I greatly fear you find no improvement in the symptoms today.' "'I find decided improvement,' answered Mr. Dawson. "'You still persist in your lowering treatment of this case of fever,' continued his lordship. "'I persist in the treatment which is justified by my own professional experience,' said Mr. Dawson. "'Permit me to put one question to you on the vast subject of professional experience,' observed the Count. "'I presume to offer no more advice. I only presume to make an inquiry.' "'You live at some distance, sir, from the gigantic centres of scientific activity, London and Paris. "'Have you ever heard of the wasting effects of fever being reasonably and intelligibly repaired "'by fortifying the exhausted patient with brandy, wine, ammonia, and quinine? "'Has that new heresy of the highest medical authorities ever reached your ears, yes or no?' "'When a professional man puts that question to me, "'I shall be glad to answer him,' said the doctor, "'opening the door to go out. "'You are not a professional man, "'and I beg to decline answering you.' "'Buffeted in this inexcusably uncivil way on one cheek, "'the Count, like a practical Christian, "'immediately turned the other and said in the sweetest manner, "'Good morning, Mr. Dawson.' If my late beloved husband had been so fortunate as to know his lordship, how highly he and the Count would have esteemed each other. Her ladyship, the Countess, returned by the last train that night and brought with her the nurse from London. I was instructed that this person's name was Mrs. Rubel. Her personal appearance and her imperfect English when she spoke informed me that she was a foreigner. I have always cultivated a feeling of humane indulgence for foreigners. They do not possess our blessings and advantages, and they are, for the most part, brought up in the blind errors of popery. It has also always been my precept and practice 
as it was my dear husband's precept and practice before me. See Sermon 24 in the collection by the late Reverend Samuel Michelson, M.A. To do as I would be done by. On both these accounts, I will not say that Mrs. Rubell struck me as being a small, wiry, sly person of fifty or thereabouts, with a dark brown complexion and watchful light gray eyes. Nor will I mention, for the reasons just alleged, that I thought her dress, though it was of the plainest black silk, inappropriately costly in texture and unnecessarily refined in trimming and finish for a person in her position in life. I should not like these things to be said of me, and therefore it is my duty not to say them of Mrs. Rubell. I will merely mention that her manners were, not perhaps unpleasantly reserved, but only remarkably quiet and retiring. That she looked about her a great deal and said very little, which might have arisen quite as much from her own modesty as from her distrust of her position at Blackwater Park. And that she declined to partake of supper, which was curious perhaps, but surely not suspicious, although I myself politely invited her to that meal in my own room. At the Count's particular suggestion, so like his lordship's forgiving kindness, it was arranged that Mrs. Rubell should not enter on her duties until she had been seen and approved by the doctor the next morning. I sat up that night. Lady Glyde appeared to be very unwilling that the new nurse should be employed to attend on Miss Halcombe. Such want of liberality towards a foreigner on the part of a lady of her education and refinement surprised me. I ventured to say, "'My lady, we must all remember not to be hasty in our judgments on our inferiors, especially when they come from foreign parts.' Lady Glyde did not appear to attend to me. She only sighed and kissed Miss Halcombe's hand as it lay on the counterpane. Scarcely a judicious proceeding in a sick room with a patient whom it was highly desirable not to excite. But poor Lady Glyde knew nothing of nursing, nothing whatever, I am sorry to say. The next morning, Mrs. Rubell was sent to the sitting room to be approved by the doctor on his way through to the bedroom. I left Lady Glyde with Miss Halcombe, who was slumbering at the time, and joined Mrs. Rubell with the object of kindly preventing her from feeling strange and nervous in consequence of the uncertainty of her situation. She did not appear to see it in that light. She seemed to be quite satisfied beforehand that Mr. Dawson would approve of her, and she sat calmly looking out of window with every appearance of enjoying the country air. Some people might have thought such conduct suggestive of brazen assurance. I beg to say that I more liberally set it down to extraordinary strength of mind. Instead of the doctor coming up to us, I was sent for to see the doctor. I thought this change of affairs rather odd, but Mrs. Rubell did not appear to be affected by it in any way. I left her still calmly looking out of the window and still silently enjoying the country air. Mr. Dawson was waiting for me by himself in the breakfast room. "'About this new nurse, Mrs. Michelson,' said the doctor. "'Yes, sir. "'I find that she has been brought here from London "'by the wife of that fat old foreigner "'who is always trying to interfere with me. "'Mrs. Michelson, the fat old foreigner is a quack.' "'This was very rude. "'I was naturally shocked at it. 
"'Are you aware, sir,' I said, "'that you are talking of a nobleman?' Psh, "'He isn't the first quack with a handle to his name. "'They're all counts. Hang him. "'He would not be a friend of Sir Percival Glyde's, sir, "'if he was not a member of the highest aristocracy, "'excepting the English aristocracy, of course.' "'Very well, Mrs. Michelson. Call him what you like, and let us get back to the nurse. "'I have been objecting to her already. "'Without having seen her, sir. "'Yes, without having seen her. "'She may be the best nurse in existence, but she is not a nurse of my providing. "'I have put that objection to Sir Percival as the master of the house. "'He doesn't support me. "'He says a nurse of my providing would have been a stranger from London also.' and he thinks the woman ought to have a trial after his wife's aunt has taken the trouble to fetch her from London. There is some justice in that, and I can't decently say no. But I have made it a condition that she is to go at once if I find reason to complain of her. This proposal being one which I have some right to make as medical attendant, Sir Percival has consented to it. Now, Mrs. Michelson, I know I can depend on you, "'and I want you to keep a sharp eye on the nurse "'for the first day or two, "'and to see that she gives Miss Halcombe "'no medicines but mine. "'This foreign nobleman of yours "'is dying to try his quack remedies, "'mesmerism included on my patient, "'and a nurse who is brought here by his wife "'may be a little too willing to help him. "'You understand? "'Very well, then, we may go upstairs. "'Is the nurse there? "'I'll say a word to her before she goes into the sick-room.' We found Mrs. Rubell still enjoying herself at the window. When I introduced her to Mr. Dawson, neither the doctor's doubtful looks nor the doctor's searching questions appeared to confuse her in the least. She answered him quietly in her broken English, and though he tried hard to puzzle her, she never betrayed the least ignorance so far about any part of her duties. This was doubtless the result of strength of mind, as I said before, and not of brazen assurance by any means. But we all went into the bedroom. Mrs. Rubell looked very attentively at the patient, curtsied to Lady Glyde, set one or two little things right in the room, and sat down quietly in a corner to wait until she was wanted. Her ladyship seemed startled and annoyed by the appearance of the strange nurse. No one said anything for fear of rousing Miss Halcombe, who was still slumbering except the doctor, who whispered a question about the night. I softly answered, much as usual, and then Mr. Dawson went out. Lady Glyde followed him, I suppose to speak about Mrs. Rubell. For my own part, I had made up my mind already that this quiet foreign person would keep her situation. She had all her wits about her, and she certainly understood her business. So far, I could hardly have done much better by the bedside myself." Remembering Mr. Dawson's caution to me, I subjected Mrs. Rubell to a severe scrutiny at certain intervals for the next three or four days. I over and over again entered the room softly and suddenly, but I never found her out in any suspicious action. Lady Glyde, who watched her as attentively as I did, discovered nothing either. I never detected a sign of the medicine bottles being tampered with. I never saw Mrs. Rubell say a word to the Count or the Count to her. She managed Miss Halcombe with unquestionable care and discretion. The poor lady wavered backwards and forwards between a sort of sleepy exhaustion, 
which was half faintness and half slumbering, and attacks of fever which brought with them more or less of wandering in her mind. Mrs. Rubell never disturbed her in the first case, and never startled her in the second by appearing too suddenly at the bedside in the character of a stranger. Honor, to whom honor is due, whether foreign or English, and I give her privilege impartially to Mrs. Rubell. She was remarkably uncommunicative about herself, and she was too quietly independent of all advice from experienced persons who understood the duties of a sick room. But with these drawbacks, she was a good nurse, and she never gave either Lady Glyde or Mr. Dawson the shadow of a reason for complaining of her. The next circumstance of importance that occurred in the house was the temporary absence of the Count, occasioned by business which took him to London. He went away, I think, on the morning of the fourth day after the arrival of Mrs. Rubell, and at parting he spoke to Lady Glyde very seriously in my presence on the subject of Miss Halcombe. "'Trust Mr. Dawson,' he said, "'for a few days more, if you please. "'But if there is not some change for the better in that time, "'send for advice from London, "'which this mule of a doctor must accept in spite of himself. "'Offend Mr. Dawson and save Miss Halcombe. "'I say this seriously on my word of honour "'and from the bottom of my heart.' "'His lordship spoke with extreme feeling and kindness.' but poor Lady Glyde's nerves were so completely broken down that she seemed quite frightened at him. She trembled from head to foot and allowed him to take his leave without uttering a word on her side. She turned to me when he had gone and said, "'Oh, Mrs. Michelson, I am heartbroken about my sister, and I have no friend to advise me. Do you think Mr. Dawson is wrong? He told me himself this morning that there was no fear and no need to send for another doctor.' "'With all respect to Mr. Dawson,' I answered, "'in your ladyship's place I should remember the Count's advice.' "'Lady Glyde turned away from me suddenly "'with an appearance of despair "'for which I was quite unable to account. "'His advice,' she said to herself, "'God help us, his advice.' Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.